Good morning, church. We are in a series this month called um, New Life, where we're exploring this new hope, this new identity, these new desires, the new life that is promised in the scriptures to those who follow Jesus. Last week, we looked at the ceremony and symbol of this new life, this thing called baptism. Uh, We saw that baptism is identification. It is a sign that we are identifying with Jesus in his death when we go down in the waters and his resurrection when we come up out of the waters, that his life is mine, I am his and he is mine. The Apostle Paul summarizes this in Galatians 2.20 saying, I have been crucified with Christ, Therefore, I no longer live. I'm identified with him, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what baptism is all about. It's, it's the act of the ceremony, the symbol of that in your life. This week, we're going to take this the next step and look at how this new identity then drives and transforms our life how it gives us new behaviors, how it makes us think differently and feel differently. And that brings us to Romans chapter 6, which brings us to my friend Mitch. Uh, Mitch and I go way back. He's an agnostic Jew. Um, I I used to call him my second favorite Jew because Jesus was my first. He's a really good guy. He's the type of guy who helps kids in after-school programs and always wants to help someone and takes care of people and all that stuff. I first met Mitch at a church event, which was a little weird because he's an agnostic Jew at a Christian event. Um, But we hit it off, and uh, I soon realized that the reason why Mitch was showing up at our church, though, wasn't because he was so interested in what I had to say or Christianity, but because he was so interested in a young model who attended our church. Yeah, so... Um, All this to say, over time, though, we became friends, and Mitch did become interested, at least curious, about Christianity. So we would meet from time to time and talk through the big issues, and um, and, and one day we were sitting at this this cafe, I think, like Panera. It wasn't a Panera, but it was like that, and he was like, okay, Paul, explain this to me. What is Christianity all about? And I was like, this is the question I've been, like, training for for whatever, the last decade of my life at the time. So this was years ago, but... And I was like, great, this is a great question. So I walked through the big four points for him. Number one, there is a God and he, cre- he created you to be in a relationship with him. And Mitch was like, okay, I can take that. Like Mitch, he, he ran with that. He believed that there was a God and it made sense that if there was a God that he was created to be in a relationship with him. Number two, we, all of us, all humans, we have sinned and broken our relationship with God. Now that word sin, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow for Mitch, but overall he could, he could, he could follow this logic because as we talked through it, he recognized, yeah, everybody's got problems in our world. Like there's something wrong with all of us. Whether you call it sin or not, there's something really wrong. Like we are not, life is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and he could even admit there are issues in his life. Like all of us are, are broken and do things that we don't like. I said, that's, that's what we're talking about here. The scriptures call that sin. And it's primarily, according to the scriptures, about a broken relationship and not just broken rules. That sin in the Bible, I explained to Mitch, is really about us when we disconnect our lives from the purpose for which we were created, from the person who we're created to be with, from God. When we disconnect our lives from that, it leads us to live lives that are not the way they're supposed to be. And that leads to the next part. Number three, apart from God, we're spiritually dead, that we're hopeless. 
we are unable to find the life that we're created to live because God created us for him, to be in relationship with him. So as soon as we separate ourselves from God, as soon as we try and live life apart from God, we're, we're separating ourselves from the very person, the very thing for which we are created. And to cut ourselves from, off from God is to cut ourselves off from life. So the Apostle Paul calls this being dead in our trespasses and sins. That as soon as you choose to live your life on your own and not go God's way, as soon as you choose to exclude God from your life, you are spiritually dead. You're still alive. You're still doing stuff. But the life that God created you to live, that deep gratitude, that deep, rich fullness of life, the peace that passes understanding, that the ability to delight in God and others, that life is cut off. That brings us to number four, the big one. So up to this point, Mitch was kind of following along. But number four, while you were dead, God loved you. He sent his son Jesus to come after you. Jesus lived a life connected with God, fully connected. That means without sin. And on the cross, he died for your sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead to invite you to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to become connected with God again and live a life with God now and in eternity. And I said, Mitch, this invitation's for you right now. All you have to do is repent. That means let go of trying to live your life on your own and believe. That means cling to what I'm saying. Cling to what God has said. Cling to the fact that Jesus came after you. Let go of trying to control your own life, of trying to live independent of God, and cling to what Jesus is offering, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead, and that his life is for you. Repent and believe. That's it. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to enter into this new life. But then Mitch got really uncomfortable. And he got this look on his face. This whole thing about this just being a gift that you receive. He couldn't quite stomach it. He was just sure that he was sure that he was sure that you had to do something to earn your way into heaven, to earn your relationship with God. And he stopped and said, so you're telling me that I don't have to do anything. That I could just, a person could go on sinning their whole lives as much as they want. And then on their deathbed, just let go and say, God, forgive me. And God has to forgive them that they're going to go into heaven. And I was like, well, have you ever heard of the thief on the cross? Yeah, that, that's happened. Yeah. He said, so you're telling me that people could do atrocious things. That you could be a murderer and, and just say, God, forgive me. And God's going to forgive you and actually give you this new life. And I said, well, have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul, Moses, King David? They were all murderers. They're all in heaven. So Mitch asked me the question that is just an excellent question. He said, well, then why would anyone be good? If God's always going to forgive me, why not sin as much as I can and just at the end of my life say, I repent and believe? Now, Mitch asked an excellent question, a question that we would do well to kind of brood over for a while, a question that I want to think about today. He's asking something fundamental here. You could reword it like this. Does Christianity really make a difference? Does it really work? Does it really give the life and the freedom that it promises? Does it really lead me to, to change? Does it lead to real transformation? Like how we answer this question will make a massive difference in our lives right now. Here's the question. Is Christianity merely a ticket to our next life or is it an invitation to a new life right now? 
does it really make a difference? So that day, I did what I want to do with you today. That day, I took Mitch and I opened up to Romans chapter 6. And that's the text I want to look at today. The, the Apostle Paul is asking the very same question that Mitch was asking. He words it this way. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should we just sin as much as we want? If we know that we can't out-sin um, God's goodness, that God's forgiveness is going to cover everything, if God loves us no matter what, why don't we just sin as much as we want? And the Apostle Paul says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, catch that word, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Why don't I, you just go on sinning? The Apostle Paul says, because that's not who you are. Because you've been baptized. You've been baptized into a death. Something died. You've been baptized into a new life. That's not who you are anymore. So last week we talked about baptism. We talked about how it's an act of identification, that when we're baptized, we're identified with Jesus. And Paul's like, don't you remember when you stood before God in the church and you said, I give myself to Jesus, I identify with him. And much, much more importantly, he looked over you and said, I identify with you. And God the Father looked down on you and said, This is my child and whom I love, and him and her I am well pleased. You are his and he is yours. When you went under the water, you were united with him in his death. When you rose out, you were united with him in his life. And that life is the life you live right now. If you are baptized, you are a different per person. The baptism is the symbol of this change of status. When you give yourself to Jesus, the old you is no more. The old you... The you apart from Jesus is gone, is done, is past, and now you are called to a new life that is bound up with Christ. You are baptized into him, in him, with him. You are a new creation. You were born again. The Holy Spirit took your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. He wrote the very law of God on your heart. He gave you a new life and he poured the love of God into your heart. This is all the language of the scripture of what happens and what is symbolized in your baptism. That is really not just about the act of baptism, but what happens to anyone who places their faith, who repents and believes. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That just as his death truly does away with the guilt of our sins, truly forgives our sins, so also his life truly makes us into a new person. That if, if, if his death on the cross actually forgives us of sins, then his resurrection actually changes our life right now. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The grace doesn't just say, I forgive you. It declares that's not who you are anymore. It declares you're free from living life on your own. 
You're free from being controlled by the sin in your life. You're free from living in ways you don't want to live anymore. You're free from living under the the pressures of all that stuff. That old you, it's gone, it's dead. You're free. It doesn't control you anymore. It doesn't lay claims to you anymore. Verse 8, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Do you hear what Paul's saying? If we're united with Jesus, we cannot not be changed. It's not that we can't sin. Of course we can sin. But to just go on sinning is absolutely unthinkable. So I was talking to Mitch, and, and he wasn't getting it. So I shifted gears, and I said, um, Mitch, you know that young woman at church, let's call her Becky, just to protect her interests. I said, do you love Becky? And he was like, yes. I said, well, imagine you two get married. Imagine uh, you, you walk down the aisle. She commits her life to you. She says, I swear before God, that's what marriage is. I swear that I will love you for better, for, uh, for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. No matter what, unconditionally, I will stay by your side. I will love you. Now, if she, Becky walked down the aisle and made that kind of commitment to you, would you want to then look at her and say, ha ha, you've committed to love me no matter what. So now I can do whatever I want. I, I can treat you like trash. I can, I can ignore you. I can run away from you. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to love you in any way because you've unconditionally sworn to love me. Would you want to do that? Why not? If she's not threatening you with punishment, if she's not bribing you with intimacy, what possible motivation would you have to be good to her, to love her, to serve her? And the answer, of course, is love. When someone loves you unconditionally, you want to love them unconditionally. We are transformed by love. If someone swears to love you unconditionally and give themselves to you completely, I guess technically you could take advantage of them, but we call that abuse. It's a horror. It's unthinkable. And that's how Christianity works. It does not depend on fear or guilt or shame, but instead Christ's love compels us. We are transformed by grace. That God, the Holy Spirit, pours the love of God into our hearts and then God gives himself to us completely and he loves us, completely gives himself to us while we were yet sinners, nothing we could do to earn or deserve it. And that kind of love, when you experience it, when, when you feel it, when you know it to be true, it changes a person from the inside out. That God's kindness leads us to repentance. It transforms us. It makes us new. It changes our motivations and desires. So if God is always going to forgive me, why not just sin as much as I can? The Apostle Paul says, because that's not who you are anymore. You've been changed by the love of God. So the message of Christianity is not just that Jesus loves sinners. Jesus does love sinners. But it's not just that. It's not merely that God pours out his grace on evil people like you and me. It's that the love of Jesus transforms sinners. His love changes who we are. 
that he's calling us right now to begin living into our new identity, our new life, the deep, rich fullness of life, to let the Holy Spirit begin freeing us from the things that are stealing our joy, taking our, ruining our peace, breaking our relationships, that I'm not just a forgiven sinner, but I'm being changed. I'm being transformed from the inside out. Now, could we technically take advantage of his grace? Could we just sin as much as we wanted? I guess it's possible but that would be abuse, that would be terrible, that would be unthinkable. So the question then is how? If this love is supposed to transform us, and I think you can see how it is, how do we actually experience this kind of transformation? The Apostle Paul addresses this in the next few verses, starting in verse 11. He says this way, this is how he applies it. He says, in the same way, in the same way that Christ died and now lives, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That it has starts in your mind, that you count, that you, that you stake in your mind, you fix in your mind who you really are in Christ. So the questions come. Do you know that everything you do apart from God is leading you down the wrong path and is going to ultimately end up to nothing? Do you know that you're loved by God more than you can imagine? Do you know who God is calling you to be? Have you fixed these things in your mind? The Apostle Paul wants us to confidently say, Yes, I know who I am. I know what my life is about. I know that life and freedom are only found when I give myself utterly to God and when I respond to his love by loving him I know that life apart from him is unthinkable I know I know I know so it starts in your mind you fix these things in your mind but it doesn't stay there it's not just a thinking exercise if we fix these truths in our mind then it necessarily works itself out in our desires and our bodily habits which brings us to verse 12 and following Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And I missed the last slide, but let me read this to you. Do not offer any parts of your body, literally your body parts, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself, literally offer every body part to him as an instrument of righteousness. I love this passage. The Apostle Paul gets, gets oddly anatomical here. He, he talks about body parts, body parts. Body. Don't let your body parts be instruments of wickedness, but offer them to God. Offer your ears, your eyes, your, your nose, your hands, your tongue to God. Follow the logic here. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, but it never changes your desires and never works its way out into what your hands do, your tongue says, or what your eyes look at, then something's wrong. He says, if you believe in your heart that that God loved you, that Jesus came after, that, that he died for you, then you will trust him, then you will love him, then it will change your desires, and that will then work its way out in what your hands do and what your tongue says and what your eyes look at. So in the end, Mitch really struggled with this idea that God's grace was just free. He was convinced that he had to do something to earn God's love, and that became this huge stumbling block for him. But what about you? Some of us have never received God's grace, have never accepted that by repenting and believing, it's really that simple, letting go 
of trying to control your own life and, and clinging to what God says, what Jesus did for us and, and showing us this life and dying for us and rising from the dead by letting go and clinging to that. That's all we have to do to receive life with God now and in eternity. That's all we have to do if we truly believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. But some of us have never done that and I want to invite you right now, if you've never done that, to consider as today the day to do it. And it is really, according to scriptures, that simple. It is repent and believe. It is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's said in a lot of different ways, but it really means just, it's very simply turning to God in prayer and confessing, I'm a sinner. I want to let go of doing life on my own. I believe that you died for me and rose from the dead. I need you to forgive me, lead me, change me. I want your love to change me from the inside out and I trust you. That's all. It's so simple, but it's not easy. It means giving up control of your own life and that can be really hard. If you did pray that prayer, if that is the prayer of your heart, if, you're, if you do pray that prayer, please let us know. We would love to walk alongside you and help you. But some of us aren't there yet. And if you aren't, I'm so glad you're actually watching this. I'm so glad you're part of our church family. We want to be a safe place for you to explore your faith. So maybe your next step isn't to make that decision yet, but maybe it's to talk to somebody. Maybe it's to come to one of our, our, uh, this upcoming Wednesday, we have this new group starting called Exploring the Essentials on Wednesday nights this summer. Um, You can find more on our website. Whether or not you go to that or whether or not you come to one of our programs, I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus, seek and you will find. Just keep seeking. Keep seeking. Don't drop it. Last, I know that many of us have believed. We are followers of Jesus. We have been baptized. To you, I want to challenge you with the words of the Apostle Paul to press into this new life that God has called you. And do not offer any part of yourself, the parts of your body, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God that this week that you would actually pay attention to your bodily habits. Scrolling on your phone, surfing the internet, what you watch mindlessly on TV, mindless eating, drinking, the words that come out of your mouth, whether they're critical or cutting or uplifting. What bodily habits do you need to offer to God in response to his love for you? That when you sit in his presence, when you know who you are, that you are a child of God, how would your life look differently if you were to live every moment in response to his love? And maybe that's too big of a question, but what's one thing this week, one area of your life that you can offer up to God and say, God, I want you to change this one thing in me. I want to encourage you to not leave today without offering that one thing to him. Missy Church, can't wait to see you next week.